Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, a member of the World Business, Business Academy Board of Directors. And I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on May 17th, 2018. On this show, we'll discuss some signs of an impending recession and how Ronaldo is balancing his portfolio to protect against it. Immigration has been in the news lately, but you rarely hear about birth rates and the relationship between the two, as well as their impact on the economy of the future. We're going to fix that. Also, we'll discuss the first truly global impact of climate change, the slowing of the Gulf Stream. But, Ronaldo, let's start with the inverted yield curve and explain that to our audience. Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt, and hello to everyone out there. Uh, it struck me that um, most people don't know about what the yield curve, what it is or how it operates or why we should care. And so it's one of those little things that uh, it's actually a major thing that I really believe everybody should increase their general education by knowing something about, because it's a very important uh, statistical reference. Um, what the, first of all, what is the yield curve? Well, there's two. They compare them. One is called the short-term yield. So if you take the, the, the rate that's being paid on treasury bills that are six-month treasuries today, uh, they're going to pay you about a 2.3% yield, which is as high as it's been in quite some time. Ronaldo, let me stop you right there. Uh, talk to me about a treasury bill and what that actually is. Okay, so that's a indebtedness of the U.S. government, and it's issued with the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. It's tax exempt as to interest. So the yield on a on on a uh, short term T bill, as they're called, or treasury bill, uh, and you and you hear the word T bill, that's what you're that's what they're referring to. Uh, a T bill rate of 2.3%, which is up from just like 1% not too long ago, actually, um, that means that the market is expecting or experiencing the beginnings of inflation. I'll come back to that in a moment. So, so a treasury bill, Ronaldo, is if I w went and bought one of these, which I can do, uh, I would be essentially loaning the U.S. government money, and the return on that, on that bond is the is the treasury, is the T-bill rate, right? The short-term or long-term rate. Right, which is called the yield. So the amount of interest you get from holding the treasury bill from is called the, the yield. From lending the U.S. government money, right, got it. Okay. Yep. okay. And so, uh, and, 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 a, and a six-month treasury bill means that if you bought it, six months from today at most, it will come due. So they're, um, they're very liquid. They're highly liquid. They trade every day constantly. And they're a measure of people's expectations of inflation. So it can also be a measure of expectation of future growth, but let me get to that later. So people the buy these as very safe investments, is that right? Yeah, they're super safe and, and super favored in the tax code. Now, as you can imagine, right, it's that you're, you're lending money to the government. And these short-term T-bills, 
which have been climbing in rates, are now at paying 2.3%. So remember, like a year ago, you couldn't have got 1% in a money market fund. And now you can get 2.3% holding a treasury bill. So it's, 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 it's an amazing turn of events. And uh, that will in turn, by the way, drive up the interest paid for paid to you as a depositor in a savings and loan or a bank. Um, so that short-term rate, that 2.3% yield today, that's reflecting the beginnings of inflation that wasn't here a year ago. And, and as you know, the Fed has been very carefully trying to keep inflation tapped down, but a lot of things are pushing it. So for example, uh, I noticed that the newest teacher strike just started yesterday or day before yesterday in North Carolina. So you've been reading and hearing about this wave of teacher strikes across the country. Well, uh, those people in many cases have gone 10 years without a pay increase. And as a result of that, uh, the pressure to put more money into our schools, which I think is overdue, frankly. I mean, you know, among the 35 uh, OECD countries, so basically developed countries, our children, American children rank 30th, 3-0 in math, in math proficiency and 19th in science. So there's 29 countries that are developed that are better at it than our kids are because we have been starving our education budgets for so many years because there's been this onslaught of tax deductions for the wealthy. And so the states and the local areas have become impoverished. And one of the budgets that gets hit first is the children and, and then the teachers, of course, are on the receiving end of that because their pay doesn't go up. So teachers across the country, if you noticed, it was uh, what, Oklahoma, um, West Virginia started, I believe, all the Arizona, and now North Carolina. And by the way, each time the teachers have gone out and strike, they have won. They have raised their pay anywhere from uh, 2 to 5 percent per annum. Very quickly, so, yes. Very quickly. And, and, and you're going to see other people forcing wage increases. Uh, you know, one of the best things you could do in your community to find out where wages are going is go to your favorite hamburger joint. I mean, you know, a good one, not like um, not like McDonald's, but like a favorite local hamburger joint and see what they're paying for a starting wage to people to work at the window or on the you know fr French fry. And what you're finding in California now is the starting wage is twelve fifty and above twelve dollars and fifty cents an hour and above. Now that wasn't too long ago. That starting wage was seven fifty to eight fifty, so that's pushing up basically uh, the cost of doing business, and 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 that's a it's a good indication of how costs are other costs are going up. Let me give you another example, a brilliant example. We know the oil companies in America, and I'm very much against fracking, but we know that you can, as an oil company, you can frack in the United States, and make a handsome profit at forty five dollars a barrel. And yet today in America, we are paying over $71 a barrel. So when you pay 71 and it only, and, and you were making a profit at 45, okay? So you were profitable at 45, but now you get $26 of profit on top of your profit. That's a huge, huge, huge windfall that the oil companies are reaping under this administration. As a result, all that money that wasn't going into your gas tank when you were driving in a year ago when oil was where it should be below $60 a barrel closer to 55 then in fact got as low as 50 for quite some time so that price of that difference that you're paying that extra $20 or 25 or $26 a barrel that's going directly to the oil companies but it's leaving the rest of the economy for the most part so uh, the com the common person 
has less and less money uh, to uh, uh, to spend. I'll give you one more statistic. Is it a good one? You know, our uh, of the of the thirty five again thirty five OECD nations, the, the developed countries, only the United States. Well, there's two behind us: Turkey and Israel. But the U.S. comes in with the the third highest poverty rate of those thirty five countries. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, and, and and the riddle and the middle class has been riddled. You know, we we the middle class has been going sideways or down for so long, and that looks like up at this point. So, what's going on is inflation's coming up through what's called wage push. That's when a teacher gets more pay, because that's what's going on. That that pushes inflation, and then there's a what's called a demand pull. It's when the demand for goods is so great it pulls the prices up. Well, we're not having demand pull. In fact, if anything, we're having demand going sideways. But the inflationary pushes from this administration's policies, including the way the oil companies are being allowed to rip off, uh, the way that we are, uh, we're, we're, we're paying for guns and butter now, as you know, the last bill that got through Congress uh, with the president's signature basically got through because they dropped any pretense that it was a balanced budget. And we now, with the tax bill in place, we're looking at $1.5 trillion or more being added to the deficit, which, by the way, puts us, I think by next year will be, if we're not already, the highest ratio of debt to gross national product, to GDP, in the history of the country since 1946, when we paid off World War II. So can you imagine? We waged World War II, got to the end of it, had a bunch of money we borrowed, we had to pay back, and we then had, so the ratio of debt the GDP was at its all-time high. It was almost 200%. And it's, it's back almost to those levels again, except this time we're not paying off World War II. You could say we're paying off the trillions we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan and a lot of other foolishness. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> the military budget we just passed was enormous and that we tied it to a budget that was equally large domestically, which I agreed with, uh, is prescription for inflation. So the short-term markets are now seeing inflation, and that's why they're paying... 2.3% on the six-month T-bill. Now, I believe that number's going up. And if people want to know a strategy for investing in short-term T-bills, I'll come to that in a moment. But that 2.3% is going to go higher. Now, here's the part where the inverted yield curve comes in. The second curve, your yield you have to look at, is the yield on the 10-year treasury. So the, the short-term bills are paying 2.3%. What's a 10-year? Now, a 10-year bill is a reflection of where people in the market think the economy is going to be 10 years from today or five years from today. So it's a, fut it's a futures-oriented index. When the short-term rate, so what you can get paid holding a bill for a treasury debt for six months, when you can make more money doing that than holding a 10-year bill, it means that the yield curve is inverted, meaning the exact opposite of what should happen is happening. It's inverted. And it's now it makes no sense to invest in the long term future of America. Keep all your money in short term. And that inverted yield curve almost always means I can't think of an exception. There's a recession coming in six months. Now, we've I'm surprised, frankly, we're not in the recession yet. But I can see in hindsight, I didn't I did not anticipate a tax bill that would be that ridiculous going through, which has created an enormous amount of, of uh, economic activity for the very wealthy. I did not anticipate uh, the deficit being as large as it would, which is also stimulative to the economy. So this economy hasn't created as quick as I thought it would, but it's clearly going in that direction. And this yield curve now, to tie it all together, on 10-year treasuries, it only pays 3.1%.
So 2.3% if you hold the money for six months, only 3.1% if you're willing to get stuck for 10 years. So it's telling you there's almost no advantage to having 10-year money. In fact, if you do the math, 3.1 less 2.3, this, this yield curve says that they're less than about seven-tenths of a point apart, right? That's, that's amazing. That, that's, that's just astounding. So what you want to be watching, and this program will be tracking it for you, we'll be looking at long-term yields. We'll be looking at short-term yields. That gap between the two is closing in a very uncomfortable way. Most economists that I know are watching this carefully, and we're going to wait and see uh, if that curve, in fact, crosses. If it does, that would be an almost certain indicator of a recession within six months. The other things that cause me to be nervous about the economy, however, uh, are, are beyond just the yield curve, but I wanted to explain that first. So, Matt, has that covered that topic well enough, you think? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, that's a good introduction to the yield curve concept, and I think this is a great example of what this show is for, Ronaldo. Uh, basically, taking these complicated and esoteric financial concepts and monitoring them for our audience. So I think this was a good way to start the show as an example of why we do what we do. Yeah, we, we used to call this back in the early days financial literacy. It's like, what do you need to know to be able to protect yourself, take care of yourself? And um, and, and I think where, where, where I would focus people's attention uh, right now is that we have done so many things in the, in the political sense. In the, in the last show, I talked about the fact that Wall Street has been trying to either believe or peddle to the rest of us the belief that it doesn't matter what happens in the political sphere, the economy hums along on its own. That just isn't true. Folks, that just isn't true. If you do dumb enough things long enough, even if you stimulate the dickens out of the economy, which we're doing right now, you eventually cannot keep it sustained. It's, just, it's like pumping air faster and faster in a balloon with more and more leaks. So what I'm looking at right now that's very troubling is I don't see how this deficit isn't going to explode. I know it was predicted that the deficit would grow by $1.5 trillion as a result of the tax bill. I think that's hopelessly optimistic. It's going to be much larger than that. I believe that the, 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 the current trajectory we are on in several different categories has left us with, you know, uh, a governor in Michigan, for example, who's willing to pay uh, to the, the richest corporations all sorts of benefits, but won't clean up the water in Flint, Michigan. And so the people in Flint, Michigan are shelling out money for drinking water so they can't spend it on restaurants and other things. And they're, and they're doing it because our government hasn't provided them with clean water to drink. And, and, and the effects of the lead poisoning in that town, plus at least 2,000 other uh, water systems across the country, is going to be astronomical because when a child drinks lead water, water with lead in it, it's a permanent, it does not change over time. It is a permanent deterioration in brain function. So we're getting dumber at a time when we have to get smarter because our political system is becoming less and less, uh, uh, more and more unruly, less and less reliable. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I mean, our power grid is a shambles. Our roads are a shambles. Our rails systems are crumbling. Uh, our, our, our air traffic control system is more than 25 years out of date. That's when we were supposed to get the new one, by the way. Um, when you look at all of these different indexes, what you see is a greater and greater disparity of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, 10 million people, 10 million people are 
working and are below the poverty line. That's astounding in this country. So where I come out in all this is if the money keeps going, which it has upwards to the top 1%, and let me put a number to that, by the way. If you look at the um, what happened in the for the first time, and uh, I think this was this this uh, survey was taken. Uh, it used to be that adults in their 30s, just one generation ago, had a chance that was about 90 percent, maybe two generations, 40 years ago, 90 percent chance of exceeding their parents' income in their lifetime. That number's now dropped to 50 percent. Um, if you look at where the money went after the last crazy recession, middle-class wages adjusted for inflation basically have been practically frozen for four decades, while the earnings of the top 1% have tripled. That's a 300% increase. The recovery from the crash of 28 actually saw banks and bankers bailed out for millions, well, millions lost their homes and savings and jobs, but the bottom 99% saw an uptick of only 1%, while the richest saw an uptick of 30%, even from the recovery. So this disequilibrium, and you're going to hear a lot of talk about the unequal wealth distribution. And you really want to etch those words on your mind, because that's the fundamental biggest flaw in the economy today. There's too much money in the hands of the very rich. We just passed a tax bill that consolidates even more money in the hands of the rich starves the government more of more taxes so it can't parry for those power grids and road repairs and railroads and airports. So our infrastructure is becoming that of a third world country. The rich are getting richer, don't want to pay their fair share. The poor are getting poorer. The working poor, meaning those below the poverty line who are working, is a larger number virtually every year. And that means that the consumption machine, which was the envy of the world, that we've enjoyed since World War II is breaking down. And as that consumption machine breaks down, the economy breaks down with it because 73% roughly of the total economy of the United States is based on consumption. Now, that equality, inequality of income, when you juxtapose it with an absolutely insane tariff attack that the president has launched uh, on our allies, when you when you when you see that the um, the fight over Iran and what the president's done there, despite all of all of our allies and China and Russia combined, all supported the Iran deal, still do. We pulled out. It's going to have enormous economic consequences because if the Iranians play ball with the Europeans, the Russians, and the Chinese, that's who they'll do business with, and we might not have the power to stop them anymore. We theoretically do, but I'm not sure if we practically do. So that will be a further disincentive for our business community. And what I think is going to start to happen soon is that our business community is going to start telegraphing, hey, we can't make hay if the sun isn't shining. We can't increase consumption if people don't have the money in their wallets and all the money's up in the top 1%, 2%, top 10% at most. And basically, if you're in the top 10%, you're already spending what you want and saving the rest. Whereas if you're on the bottom um, 90%, you're spending everything you can just to keep your head above water. And that's without even looking at the problems you're going to have sending your kids to college. So right now, I continue to see weakness after weakness after weakness stacking up in the economic sector as a direct result of the insanity in the political sector. And what I think this show does best is we try to tie together for everyone what's going on in Washington, the circus back there, 
how it, you know, in, in one sense, it's there entertaining us. I mean, we have a president who's who's basically producing, starring and directing in a show called Mr. President. It's a reality TV show. And we know he's a reality TV star. And he thinks this show is great because it's got ratings. And he does get ratings. I mean, people are plugged into this the way you the way you watch a train wreck about to happen. People are fixated by this insanity as it goes on day to day to day. The problem is that does have an impact on the economy and it's going to come home to haunt us all. Even the 38 percent of the people who are Trump cultists are going to feel the pinch. In fact, I would argue they're going to feel it sooner and worse than the rest of us. So where we are today is we've got a political system that's completely dysfunctional and we have an economic system that's doing its best to keep going in the face of adversity. If we could stop shooting ourselves in the foot metaphorically, politically, I think our economy would recover very quickly. But we haven't stopped shooting ourselves in the foot, and I don't believe we're going to. I think it's only going to get worse from here. Uh, I think that when you compound that with the political insecurity that we have, because we now know the Senate reported out yesterday uh, that, in fact, of course, Russia did interfere with the election, did intend to get Trump elected, succeeded in getting that elected, and succeeded in basically destabilizing our relationships with NATO and with our European allies, and basically has driven a wedge into the heart of the European Union, has not only stolen Crimea, but yesterday, a day before yesterday, opened up a 12-mile bridge, so now the Russian mainland is tied directly to Crimea. This is all going on in a world where our economy will be the bearer of the bad news. Let me give you one last example, and I'll quit. When you look at a crumbling bridge or uh, a railroad that goes, can only go 35, 50 miles an hour, which, by the way, is the, it's the speed they travel at in North Korea, just to give you some idea how bad it is that that's where our trains travel at. Okay, when, you get, when, you, when you have infrastructure that's this badly broken, 657 uh, water mains, I think, is it, is it, I'm trying to remember now, is it 657 water mains uh, are broken every, what is it, it's every, uh, every day across the country, 657 water mains a day. Now, you can't have an, your infrastructure crumbling like that and get your goods to market efficiently. Right. And your customers don't have money to pay for them efficiently. That's where the problem is. So with that in mind, I want people to realize we're going into worse and worse economic times. They're not as good today as they were even six months ago, and it will be much worse six months from today. I'm sorry to report that. Now, we can talk about what you can do about that. But that's what I want you to batten down the hatches, folks. It's going to get much worse. And you can't have this theater in Washington, is my main point, happening and not have it affect your pocketbook. It does. All right, Renaldo, that's a good place to start. Uh, I do want to talk about what people should be doing, in your opinion, to protect themselves. But first, maybe now is a good time to plug the Optimist Daily because uh, you're very involved with that with that publication. And from the sound of it, that seems like a contradiction. Um, something called the Optimist Daily versus the uh, economic disaster we're staring in the face. Can you can you square those two for me? Yeah, thanks very much, because I, I really want to talk about it. The Optimist Daily is my, my favorite project, frankly. And, and what I want to talk about is why we do it. When you look at the amount of negative news that I have to watch every day just to be informed, so I can come on this show and I can talk about the things that matter to people, um, you can't avoid a being inundated, literally inundated, by these negative stories one after the other. 
In fact, if you go turn on your six o'clock news at your local TV station, wherever you live, what you're going to find is that if it bleeds, if the story is about unrest, murder, mayhem, something going wrong, it's what leads on your television as the six o'clock news. And that was first started by a man named Randolph, William Randolph Hearst, who basically said, if it bleeds, it leads, meaning the way to get the most viewers or readers is have something that grabs you by the gut because it's so terrible. I believe that reality in the TV news world, particularly in the newspapers, is what's causing people to become extremely cynical and become extremely discouraged. We know that the rate of voter participation has been falling for decades. Uh, we know that people are feeling more and more cynical about their future. They're fe- they're, it, it would appear our standards for what we, we, we demand in a public office is dropping further and further. And so in the face of that, I decided to do something that was radically different. What I wanted to do was to give people a way for free to start each day with an optimistic thought. I believe that optimism is the antidote to cynicism. So I'm not the kind of person that sticks my head in the sand like an ostrich and pretends I don't see all the negative stuff. I do. But in order to balance that, I want to see stories about things that are working and yet they're very hard to find. And so what we did is we launched a service, which is free. Anybody can write into info at worldbusiness.org and we'll be happy. Um, we'll be happy to sign you up for free. You'll get uh, five uh, literally five headlines a day in your email. It takes less than a minute to read the five headlines. It takes less than a minute to read each story if you choose to click on one of them because there are, we provide 75 word summaries of every story. And then if you really want to know the full in-depth that we looked at, you can click once again and we'll take it to the original source. So I'm just going to, at random, while we were talking, I pulled up today's Optimus Daily. Uh, and what the first lead story is why Louisiana wants to and is now going to restore its coastline by diverting the Mississippi River. What it's talking about there is how Louisiana realized that it's a target for climate change getting much worse for them, and, and they're going to want to be able to uh, restore their coastline, which has been badly eroded. The second story is about Germany's energy model, which lets utilities earn money even when power stations are at negative prices as a way to encourage the conversion off of fossil fuel. The next story is about the first high-speed trains that are on their way to Florida. Uh, most people didn't realize that Florida was about to do high-speed trains, but apparently they are. I think that's a great, uh, a great way to address some of the infrastructure problems we have with transportation. Uh, the, uh, the other thing we have is um, a hybrid solar wind power plant, which is being built in India. It's going to be enormous. It's going to be their first major plant without coal in decades. Uh, and then um, the last one is uh, about having whiter teeth. Uh, if you went back a couple of days, you'd see um, uh, articles on how to U.S. approved a bill to retain U.S. net neutrality. Most people don't know that. Um, about a huge microbiome study that talks about the, uh, the, uh, the gut health and why that's so important to us. And how solar beat coal on U.S. jobs. So you can look at that article. Or how the UK shoppers are now avoiding plastic in their packaging. So all these happy stories, these are think, these are solutions that are happening somewhere in the world on a small level that are going to get larger and larger. And so you read these and you go, okay, well, the, in, the, in, the infrastructure is broken. 
our, 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 our rail system is broken, our highways are broken, how are you going to get from New York to Florida? And all of a sudden you read this article, gosh, Florida is building a high-speed rail system, as California has promised to try and accomplish, by the way. So all those things are ways, and by the way, that's a private company that's going to be bringing high-speed rail accordingly. So if you are commuting by train and you're wondering why it goes so slow, and here in Los Angeles that's particularly painstaking, and it's, you know, we, we, we have terrible traffic jams in L.A., um, it's interesting to know that this private company is setting up a 235-mile route in Florida to service probably 3 million private cars or the equivalent, so meaning replacing that many on the roads. Okay, that's Optimus Daily. Hey, Ronaldo, it takes a couple let me minutes yeah, let me, to start your day with a positive thought. Let me comment on that too. Uh, I, I've been previously involved in the project, and one, one thing that I love about it is that it, it actually has a real international outlook too. So it's it's easy to be focused on the United States amidst the turmoil and chaos. And it, of course, still the United States remains the most powerful and arguably well, the most important country, maybe second to China, we'll see soon. Uh, but my, my, my point is that it really does show you the progress that's help, happening elsewhere, which, you know, we don't get enough international news period in the United States, but we definitely don't get enough international news that's inspiring and solutions focused so i want to yeah. encourage everyone to read it also yeah that's an example just yesterday we had an article on uh, uh, the new electric car charging network across europe which means that electrical vehicles are now going to be all over europe they're going to replace all those diesels yeah. it's over the diesel era is over okay uh there was an article yesterday on how to lower the risk of heart disease by certain foods in your diet you know there's another article on how you can uh, boost your brain power i mean and so the reason I'm telling you all these things is that positive – people who know me know that I'm basically an optimist. In one sense, if you know what I know, how could you possibly be an optimist? Because you know, it's like it's so frightening. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning sometimes. But at the end of the day, I'm an optimist because I actually believe there are more solutions than we conceivably can know about. And if we get our mind straight, if we choose to have the positive than the negative, then we will get the positive. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Either way, you're right. So let's be the people who think we can. Or the way I like to say it, I've never heard about, seen, read about any problem on the face of this earth, including global population and climate change, that we cannot solve with today's financial resources and today's technology. We don't have to invent something new. We just got to put all these positive stories in action on the biggest possible scale. So please get a free subscription. You'll love it. It'll cheer you up. And when you're particularly down with some news story, you go, oh, okay, well, let me just look at Optimus Daily. That'll, that'll give me a couple of happy thoughts. And, and again, so, it's free five days a week. And they write into info at worldbusiness.org to request a, a subscription. They can also sign up at optimistdaily.com going directly to the source. Is that right? Yep, I believe so. Great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very proud to be the publisher of that. Okay. Absolutely. That. So, Ronaldo, getting back to the... Uh, the protection of people's assets and, and what you're doing with your with your portfolio. Can you give us some information about that? Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that we should um, touch on it very briefly. If we have time at the end of the show, I can explain each item because there's some things I want to talk about still on this show before we run out of time. And uh, like, you know, what's going on on the Big Island where I've had a home for 30 years, of course, because the volcano. Uh, I've also I want to talk about uh, some immigration issues and uh, some things about climate change. So the very short version of the story is, uh, I again went into my portfolio just this morning. 
I increased the amount of gold I'm holding. I uh, have given instructions that I'm, I'm going to save up some money. And I hope to have it together in the next few weeks. And I'm going to buy some additional VIX, which is the, uh, the index you buy when you think troubled times are coming. It rises on trouble. It falls on good times. And I've recommended the VIX in the past. And I'm going to buy more of it at this point, consistent with what I've said in this show about the coming recession. By next year, there'll be a recession. And, um, and I think we'll know that that's coming by the fourth quarter, by the way. Um, I'm also, I've, um, I've, I put some money uh, into specifically locked in green investments that are not related to stock market issues. So uh, specific investments in solar company, in a company that specializes in reprocessing waste into useful practical materials like uh, the, right now, most of the cities in, in, in the country are strangled with too much paper and cardboard waste, which they used to get taken away for free by the recyclers, but the recyclers can't sell it anymore to China. So the value of that uh, compressed, pressed altogether, like those large cardboard bales you used to see, was like $150 a ton. And now they're paying the cities like Sacramento are paying $30 a ton to take it and haul it away. And they're going to put it in a landfill. So I've got a company I've just invested in not long ago that actually takes that stuff and turns it into um, medium density fiberboard to replace cutting down trees. And it works better has none of the toxins. It's completely green. It's a green solution. Um, I could I could list other investments like that, but so I'm putting things in, in, into into that. And then what I did that which might and that's a little hard for people listening to do because they they probably don't have access to those kinds of opportunities. But they can buy short term bonds, and I, I recommend that you would investigate a short term bond, um, particularly if you wanted to do uh, a rotating bond fund, which means that you have not only treasuries in there for 2.3%, but you'll have corporate bonds in there for two or three times that amount. So you get a decent yield, a decent amount of mixed interest. And because they're short term, the inherent liability of having a bond is that if you hold a bond during inflationary period of time, the face value of the bond will drop faster than the interest they could pay you. So that's why you want a short term bond. You want to be able to get out of it if inflation starts to kick in because the value of the bond will go down and you'll end up with a negative yield on your bond rather than positive. So if you want to have some short-term bonds, I think it's still safe and you've got time to do that and get yourself a 5 to 7 to 9% yield. Uh, we put a lot of those, by the way, into the World Business Academy uh, advised account last year, and that account did over 9% yield on a rock-solid, safe investment portfolio, and nobody had to worry about watching the stock market gyrations every day. And I just want to comment on that again. I, I, you shouldn't be in the market at this point. You don't want to have to go to sleep knowing that the market was, uh, uh, well, for example, today it was only down by 55 points. Uh, the day before it was down, it was up by 60. The day, you know, it's, it's gone up by 450, down by 270. I mean, it goes back and forth like a yo-yo. And you really don't want to be part of that. You really don't want to have to deal with that every day. You just want to be able to like think, okay, where can I put my nest egg that it's not going to get wiped out while the world comes to its senses, which hopefully it will. And so those are the kind of uh, suggestions I'm making for today. Increase your gold, uh, VIX when you're ready, uh, short-term bonds. And if you have an isolated opportunity to put money into something directly that you can see and either control or directly be involved in, by all means, do that as well. Uh, because patient-friendly capital can be one of the great opportunities for you to get into a business with 
someone who's going to open the next butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker shop. Okay, that's what I would. Any questions on that, Matt? No, that sounds good to me, Ronaldo. Now, you listed some topics you want to talk about. Uh, where do you want to go next? Climate change, immigration. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to go to climate change briefly, just because okay. something enormous just happened. So, um, climate change has been um, creating events that we know of that are what I would call localized. So massive downpours that have occurred, creating flooding, for example, in Kauai, which has been flooding for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, uh, huge hurricanes and storms like we saw this recent past season in Puerto Rico and Texas and Florida. And by the way, as I said in prior shows, the reason for these massive downpours is the amount of water and moisture content in the air is now about 10% higher than it was just 10 years ago. As a result, all that water that's up in the air because of the heating of the atmosphere, which causes more evaporation from the ocean, all that water, when there is a storm, comes down like a thunderclap. And you get this flooding. So the, the world we live in is drought, drought, flood, drought, 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 flood. And that will continue to be the case, only worse, indefinitely into the future at this point. The other things that we see are regional distortions. So when you get a storm like what hit the Category 5 storm that cleared the entire Caribbean and every island that it touched, it decimated, that's a regional event. It's not just one little pinpoint like the city of Dallas or in the case of last year, the city of Houston. Now, those events are what we've seen to date, even though many of us have been predicting that climate change would have much larger. Superstorm Sandy was a climate change event. We've been predicting there will be larger events, but we didn't know when. Well, we now know when it started. So the first thing that we can tell you that's a global climate change phenomenon is the fact that the Gulf Stream is slowing down. In fact, it's now circulating at its slowest rate in 1,600 years. Uh, just uh, That was just reported this week, uh, and it's kind of staggering. So uh, can you talk about what that is, Ronaldo, and what, the, what, that, yeah. what it does? Okay. Yeah, okay, so the Gulf Stream is one of the major currents, ocean currents of the world. It's planet-wide. It, it, it starts at the equator, roughly very south of the eastern seaboard of the United States. And it goes all the way north, because at the equator, the water heats. And that water starts moving north. And as it moves north, and it starts bending to the right, because of the, the, the Earth's direct spin, it starts cooling when it gets to the North Atlantic. And by the time it gets up to where Scotland is, it's gotten cool enough that that cold water drops down to the bottom of the ocean, and if you will, reverses and slides back towards the equator, where it's heated again by the ocean and the, and the temperature at the equator, and that pumps the water then on this what's called a conveyor belt up along the eastern seaboard. That's why it's called the, 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 the Gulf Stream. And it goes up along the eastern seaboard and gets up to off of New York and it starts bending quite a bit to the right across the North Atlantic and eventually is what keeps Scotland livable. There are four things about the Gulf Stream or any ocean current. And when these, it, it, it's so massive that one of these changes, you, you have no idea what this means. This is like when a uh, several years ago, I reported that the Gulf Stream, the jet stream was breaking down and that you'd see incredibly crazy weather from here on out because there was no girder, if you will, to hold uh, the cold air of the Arctic because the jet stream had been basically decimated by climate change. 
And so the, 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 the continuous flow of air that we've known as a pattern for 10,000 years broke down about three or four years, well, started wobbling about five years, six years ago, and it completely broke down two years ago. And now, instead of having a nice, clean, crisp line that would go across basically between Canada and the United States at around 200 and some 220 miles an hour, it, dip, it would always dip down uh, to North Dakota and then back up again. And then as it goes back, it goes north past Toronto and, and, and Montreal. Well, that, that jet stream isn't there anymore. And so the cold air uh, is able to come down unimpeded in one direction, and it's also able to be affected by aberrant temperatures from other parts of the planet more easily because the, the ecosystem that held our temperature from the tip of the southern tip of Florida to the uh, to the to, to Chicago basically was no longer being uniformly regulated by the jet stream. Well, the Gulf Stream is something of equal importance in the water. So the, the four things about any ocean current that you want to know is its temperature of the water. And, and that's really only relevant at the source, meaning down in the, in the southern latitudes, how hot's the water that's getting pumped into it and how cold's the water up above it. If the temperature differential, meaning how hot it is down below and how hot it is at the top in the North Atlantic, if that starts to close as it is doing now, you get, you get an adverse impact on the current. In addition to which, if the salinity changes, meaning that the amount, the amount of salt per molecule, per, per, per gallon of water, if you will, is, is, is decreasing in the ocean because of all the ice that's melting around the planet. So as that ice melts fresh water into the ocean, it's changing what's called the salinity. When you, when you change salinity, one of the things that can change is speed, the speed with which it goes on the conveyor belt from the equator up to Scotland. And right now, as I said a moment ago, the speed of that conveyor is going slower than at any time in the last 1600 years that we know of. And the culprit clearly is climate change. There's no question that's what's doing it. Um, we also know that uh, the direction, so where that conveyor belt runs will likely change as well. What does this mean to us? Well. If you're living in Scotland, it means at some point in the not too distant future, Scotland is going to be very hard to, to live in. It's, it, the temperature of Scotland is going to be very, very cold because it won't have the warming of the Gulf Stream to help keep the, the British Isles, where, where it finally terminates, warm. The, the density has dropped, so the salinity has increased, therefore the density of the water has dropped. The speed has already dropped. And the temperature differential between the southern point of origin and the northern point of deposit has already shrunk, meaning it's getting closer in temperature. All of those factors together mean that the Gulf Stream, which no one thought could ever be moved or altered because such a massive force, apparently has been altered. This now, is a huge story. Now, Ronaldo, I just want to uh, alert people to something that I, I actually remember seeing in 2004. It's a movie called The Day After Tomorrow. Oh yeah, it's a fictionalized version of the theoretical potential of what this what might happen under this scenario, and they speed it up a lot to make it a dramatic effect, uh, including hurricanes or, or or tornadoes of frozen air that freeze people in place. Now they over dramatize it a little bit, but right. the the concepts. Uh, 
that undergird that that movie are really uh, what we're talking about here. And it's it's scary to hear it coming true. And I, I think it's worth people watching that movie just because it's very entertaining and also uh, based in some uh, reality of what the future looks like. Yeah, yeah. The the future is going to look far less dramatic than that movie because, for example, even though Scotland's going to be one frozen ice, it's going to be like one frozen ball of ice. But, but um, you know, it'll have a brief summer. But it's it's uh, it's going to take decades of continually getting colder and colder and colder, uh, and and therefore the country is going to have to adjust somehow. And my suspicion is it will adjust. Uh, maybe it will go underground and we'll return to living in caves in Scotland because it's ground is the best way to insulate against cold. Uh, maybe we'll decide it's just not possible to adequately survive in a civilization uh, that far north and we'll retreat. People will start moving to more southern regions. Uh, one of the things, by the way, and, 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 and there's no one knows this yet, so I'm not saying it's true, but I want to tell you one of the concerns. A lot of climatologists say if the Gulf Stream does in fact change as it appears it's doing now, um, that could indicate much quicker rise in sea levels along the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I saw that because it actually pulls water away and and lowers the uh, ocean levels on the eastern seaboard at the moment. That's very interesting. Yeah, and and, and that's a a controversial theory. I, I haven't yet done enough research independently to believe it. I know for sure that's true. But I can tell you this. Sea level rise will be happening uh, even quicker than anyone's been predicted in, yeah. in, in the IPCC, and 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 so is the when when it as it's happening, will we see the Gulf Stream and the other ocean currents? Will we see them as changing because of, or will we see the sea level rise because of the currents, or will it be something that happens in tandem, in parallel? Uh, my guess is the forces are so enormous right now on sea level rise that it's probably going to be in parallel. Whatever additional pain the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Stream changing will bring us, I believe it will be less pain that we are going to get from sea level rise as a result of other factors. And that's obviously the, the release of methane. So, uh, and by the way, the Academy uh, folks, uh, some of you who listened to the show years ago know that we. We talked about methane. Uh, we started talking and writing about methane 13 years ago. I even know exactly when we started and why. It's an interesting story, which I can tell you if you want sometime, Matt. But we've been tracking methane releases. And our theory for years was, oh, my God, this is worse than CO2 if we got this figured right. And I'm beginning to see articles now come out saying that methane is, in fact, worse than CO2, which it is. And that methane can't be recaptured. CO2, there actually are ways you could recapture it. You cannot recapture methane no matter how hard you try. So uh, the, the Academy is going to be doing more and more research, releasing information on the methane crisis and what the implications of that are and how we how we think that can be addressed and, and, and resolved because there's only one thing we know of to do that could reverse climate change in the face of methane increases. But to, to the point in, in this part of the show, what we're talking about is extreme weather events in Europe for sure in winter. And we're talking about, for sure, a significant impact, adverse impact on the fisheries along the east coast of America. And we're for sure talking about a much, much colder northern Europe. Those are the things we know for sure now. That's no longer in question. 
What we don't know is how that's going to also, in parallel or as an additive factor, accelerate sea level rise. But that's what's coming next. So let's move from one extreme to the next, Ronaldo, and talk about what's happening on the Big Island right now. I know it's a very a place that's very close to your heart, and I just want to get your perspective. Yeah, and, I, and the segue from one to the other is this. We'll keep covering climate change on this show so that we can give people as much advance warning as possible. Remember, we, we warned people years ago to sell the real estate in Florida before it was too late. And the ones that did are very grateful they did because insurance premiums continue to go up in Florida. The cost of living in Florida continues to go up. And the sea is definitely recapturing big chunks of Florida right now. It's, but it's, Miami's building a giant new mall, Ronaldo. They are, and they're building a lot of high-rises, and they're also, and you know, Matt, they're trying to raise their roads. You, you've been reading about this, right? They're literally picking their roads up and pay, putting them two feet higher in the air as if that's going to do any good. Yeah. Well, you might as okay. well keep rebuilding them because two feet isn't going to cut it. Two feet ain't going to cut nothing, right? But, but when you can stand as you can in Miami on a clear day with sun over your head and water up to your knees because it's percolated up through the ground, you know you got a problem. And raising the roads so that they are above that percolating water of two feet, uh, it, to me, is complete folly. It's a complete waste of money. Um, but having said that, the, so that the transition is, I think that watching climate change is one of the most important things you need to do if you want to protect your own financial nest egg. It's also one of the most important things you need to do if you want to evaluate the quality of your political system. It's also one of the most important things you need to do if you want to think about what the future of your children and your grandchildren are, or your nephews and nieces or any little people. Okay, so if you have no kids of your own, it's interesting to think of what the next generation will be dealing with. We already quoted at the beginning of the show how this ge this generation now is only a 50 percent chance of doing as well or better than their parents. And that number is dropping pretty hard. So now let's go over to the Big Island, which is going through a natural event, a volcano. So as we all know, we're a volcano planet where the islands of this planet <clears throat> were formed <clears throat> by volcanic eruptions including the islands of Hawaii. Islands of Hawaii are on what's called the Ring of Fire. And the Ring of Fire is where two tectonic plates, these two massive plates that basically float on the Earth's crust, um, these two huge plates rub against each other, and where they rub against each other, molten lava is able to come to the surface because there's a gap between the two, a small gap. And if you look at the islands of Hawaii, you will see how they... They basically are in a curve that one volcano after another starts forming to the south and to the west, south and to the west. And that's that if you just draw a line between the Hawaiian Islands, you'll see the curvature of the Ring of Fire. In fact, if you Google Ring of Fire, uh, Hawaii Ring of Fire, any of those Googles, you, it, you'll show you'll get all kinds of great articles in the Ring of Fire. Why am I explaining this? Apart from the fact that I have had a home in Hawaii on the Big Island for 30 years. Number one, I wanted people to know that. Uh, the actual eruption has had very little effect to about 95% of the population, even on the island of Hawaii, where the volcano exists. Number two, those of us who live there know that the area of greatest uh, volcanic danger keeps moving, moving ever so slowly to the south as the two tectonic plates shift. One's going north, one's going south, and the ring of fire therefore continues to the south. Today, off the south tip of the big island of Hawaii, where this volcano is going off, a new island is forming. And it's only about 300 feet below the surface at this time. 
and it will continue to rise through volcanic eruptions because as the magma underneath the Earth's crust keeps trying to come to the surface, it will come to the surface in that point next, and that will be the next island of Hawaii. In the meantime, what I'd like everybody to know is that the amount of ash that that volcano is throwing into the air, any volcano throws in the air, actually starts to help us with climate change a little bit because it creates a way to reflect sunlight. Now, the volcanic eruptions going on right now on the Big Island is too small to have any significant effect on weather. However, if the magma inside the core of that volcano, and if you see pictures of it, you'll notice that the caldera, so that's the hollow part where the volcano used to be, has almost no lava in it at all. In fact, it's, it's, it's dried. You can see almost a mile down now. Because what's happened is where that was the point that the lava used to come up for maybe a thousand years, that's now moved south. And all these tributaries of lava going to the ocean, you see there's 21 fissures, they're all going, if you notice, in a southerly direction. So the lava is trying to come to the surface as the ring of fire goes further to the south. And if that eruption becomes significant, meaning, let's for example, if the magma comes in contact with seawater, which is entirely possible and some people think likely, you'll have an explosion of steam, literally a steam explosion of lava. And that'll throw boulders the size of boxcars in the air, but they're not going to land on anybody who close to the volcano. I mean, it's that, that area has been cleared of people now, population, so that won't hurt. But that kind of an explosion could throw enough smoke and dust in the air that it could, for a temporary period of time of several weeks, provide some cooling. And because that cloud would appear very close to the equator, where the sun's concentration in the summer is at a maximum, I could see where the temperature of the equator could drop ever so slightly if a prolonged eruption occurred that pushed that cloud of smoke, dust, and ash, A, higher than the 12,000 it's currently sitting at, 12,000 feet, but B, over a much larger area, cover a larger area of the ocean. Right now, it's all being blown south, which is how the winds prevail in the big island of Hawaii. So the people like me who live 60 miles north are not experiencing any vog or volcanic gases or even dust or ash. Uh, that could change, by the way. Every once in a while, you get what's called a Kona storm, which is when the wind comes from the south. But that's very rare. And um, I doubt that's going to happen. I certainly hope it doesn't happen. And in the meantime, what you want to watch for is how much of that plume goes up in the air and how much surface area of ocean it covers. It keeps getting bigger. It could have a positive effect on slowly, slightly bringing the temperature down. But it won't be prolonged. It won't last more than probably three or four weeks at most. And so eventually it will be no effect at all. But I thought it'd be worth pointing that out. Now, that volcano is a natural phenomenon. We didn't do anything to cause that. We did cause the Gulf Stream to change. So so I wanted to contrast these two events. One's yeah. a natural event, and we know how to live with it, and it's created the world we've been blessed to inherit. The other is a curse that's destroying the world we'd like to leave to our children. So speaking of children, Ronaldo, uh, in the time we have remaining, let's talk about uh, declining U.S. birth rates and immigration and how you see that uh, factoring into the economy of the future. Yeah. So um, I, I keep looking at all these different things that would affect the economy that are results of political foolishness. But I also wanted to de- to show you one of the biggest ones. So here's political foolishness writ large. Now, first of all, I've got to declare my bias. I am an immigrant. 
was not born in this country. I was blessed to come here legally. Uh, I have been blessed to be a citizen of both this country and my country of origin, which is Canada, for many years. Uh, and I'm, I've been grateful for my time in the U.S., but I want to make it clear, I do believe, and I think most thoughtful people do, that immigrants basically built America, not just me and people like me who've come from other countries and have contributed back to the society, but, and, and not just my parents or grandparents, but the waves of immigrants, uh, the, the Irish, the Chinese, the Japanese, uh, the Scandinavians, the Germans, uh, uh, the Latin Americans, the Central Americans, all of these people, wave after wave after wave, are what created what we call the United States of America. One of the benefits of all that immigration was that immigrants tend to have more children than people of, uh, of, of, of mothers born in the United States. So foreign-born mothers as a category produce more children than women who are not foreign-born in terms of the total number of children. So the replacement rate for the birth rate is two. In other words, every if every woman has two children, the birth rate stays equal to the death rate. So that's the replacement number. We're below replacement. But what's just happened recently because, uh, and I'm saying recently meaning in the last five or six years, immigration under the last four years of Obama was cut down. It's been dramatically cut down in the first year plus of Trump. And as a result of that decrease in immigration, our fertility rate, which is the number of live births per female, our fertility rate is, is plummeting now. And the big reason is that we have fewer and fewer foreign-born mothers, and therefore the rate of replacement of our population is dropping. Uh, it's now probably down to 1.7 or below. Why is that important? Well, look at Japan. Japan's had a negative birth rate for years, and it's really catching up with them. They simply don't have enough people to do all the things that you need if you want the economy to grow. Um, and so their economy hasn't been growing. Now, we have always had this built-in, you know, like a booster of immigration, which kept putting more and more people into the system, which required us to make more and more goods, which required us to do more things, to create more economy, and it just kept feeding positively back on itself. And we built this enormously powerful economic engine called the United States of America. People often understand the immigration argument as a moral one. They say, you know, we should take your tired, your poor, your wretched masses yearning to breathe free. I'm quoting, of course, from the, the base of the Statue of Liberty. That's what it says. We should do that for all the right reasons. People fleeing for their lives from Latin America, from Central America, and fleeing from climate change in Africa, fleeing from corruption and death, uh, death brigades in the Middle East. We should have our doors open to these people, not just because it's the moral thing to do, and I believe it is, not just because immigrants infuse new blood into the country and help us re-energize ourselves. But in addition to that, we now know for certain that there aren't enough Americans, domestically born Americans, who want to clean our toilets and pick our lettuce or be the maids in our hotel rooms. So all those jobs now are under pressure. And, and agriculture, and if, and by the next show, Matt, I want to talk about how much agriculture has already been hurt by the lack of enough people to pick the crops. Literally. Here in California, you see that story all the time. So all those arguments, economic arguments, hey, you, you got to have somebody to clean the toilets, 
be the maids in the hotels and pick the lettuce because you don't want to do it, America. And if you did, great, but you don't. And there's nothing wrong with those jobs. Menial jobs are perfectly healthy and honorable jobs, but we haven't been willing to do them. And the immigrants have for hundreds of, for at least 150 years in this country. Well, that is a strong economic argument in favor of immigration. But what I just covered a minute ago is even stronger, and that is the fertility rate. You see, without those immigrants to raise our birth rate, there are fewer people between now and the next 20 years, there are fewer people who will be around to spend money. There are fewer kids to buy clothes for, so we don't spend the money now. There are fewer kids to, to buy textbooks, and there's fewer kids to, uh, to buy shoes for, and, and on and on. Okay? There's fewer people needing babysitters. I could go on and on. But it's not only that next 20 years where your spending decreases. It's that those people aren't alive to do the spending they would have done when they got to be 20 years old. And in their 20 to 40 year period, they're not building households. They're not demanding requiring new housing. They're not requiring more vehicles. They're not requiring more transportation. So what happens when your fertility rate goes down is you start going, where are we going to get enough workers to take care of our country? And, 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 and this is a phenomenon that's already been hugely adverse for Japan. It's becoming very adverse for Germany. One of the reasons Angela Merkel was so generous by letting all those people into her country is, you know, they let a million people into Germany, and frankly, it's going to help their fertility rate. It's also helping their jobs right now. It, it took them a little digesting, but it's almost done at this point. So countries who permit immigration tend over the one to two generation cycles. A generation is 20 years. Countries that allow that to happen typically outperform with their economies stagnant or shrinking countries like we've become, where our fertility rate is below break even. I hope that was clear. If it isn't, please, like everything we talk about on this show, send us a question. Tell us what you'd like more information about, and we would be happy uh, to go in greater detail. Thanks, Ronaldo. And yes, uh, feel free to write to us at info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O, at worldbusiness.org. And until the next show, Ronaldo, thanks for uh, sharing all this information and thanks to our audience for listening. Thank you very much, audience. And get that free subscription to Optimus Daily. You're going to love it. It'll cheer you up. Bye thanks, now. everyone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.